Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Coronia, and joined today by Joe Thomas and Chris Beasley to head to look ahead to Everton's game against Tottenham Hotspur at the weekend. The Blues' mountain injury problems that seem to have eased in, in recent days, going off latest training picks, and of course, take a look back at the, the latest news since we last recorded on Monday after Everton's 2 1 defeat to Manchester United at Goodison Park. But lads, we'll get straight into it. Bees, obviously. We saw the latest training picks drop this week. Nathan Patterson, Ben Goffrey yeah. back on the grass. A welcome boost for Frank Lampard. It was, but then also had Jenny Mina on there. And between well, those... I'm going to come to him, so don't, spoil, hey, don't, don't jump in too soon. Because I'm not going to mention that Mina got injured in between. Um, the we'll start with the, the positives. Okay, we'll just talk about the autographs. The positives now. Yeah, I think it's obviously good to see, but we're not going to be seeing them anytime particularly soon, especially Godfrey, as uh, the manager said, it's more for him after the World Cup break. Nathan Patterson was kind of always touch and go, whether it be back before then. Obviously, those that double-header with Bournemouth in November before um, we all go away. And, um, yeah, he said this week, two or three weeks for Nathan Patterson, so that's kind of in line with that. Obviously, Seamus Coleman's done very well since he came in there. It's been a seamless transition. So it'll be, I suppose, how, how Nathan responds. A young lad hopefully can um, get back up to sharpness um Quickly, and they, he'd be breathing down um, Seamus's neck, possibly to get back there before before the um, the break. And it's obviously healthy to have those competition for places. So for those two particular players, good to see uh, Mason Holgate back in as well. Also, he's not ready for the, the weekend. I mean, he might have been one. You could have even said possibly pushing Seamus for a right back berth, if not one of the two centre backs. But yeah, um, on, for them, it's encouraging to see. But like we said, not not particularly one for this um, this weekend at Tottenham. Joe, uh, you know, we understand what B says there in terms of, you know, it's not for the immediate return, but it's positive to see that progress, the pair making good progress and that, you know, they are back running and training and doing some work because we've seen over the years where Everton, you know, there's been a lot of complications in terms of injured players returning and things taking a lot longer than what they probably should have done. Yeah, it is positive news, of course. It is. It's quite nice to see. Uh, although it's not too far off the time frames that were suggested, I was quite surprised to see the pictures of, of Godfrey and Patterson out on the training um, pitch this this week. And, you know, it's, it's positive news that they're back so quickly. Obviously, it looks like Patterson might be in contention to play again before we go off for the World Cup. Godfrey, probably not. Um, so, you know, so, so it's really good. Andros Townsend making good progress as well. You know, speaking to Frank Lampard about this yesterday, and he was saying that for all the... There are lots of ways in which this is a really peculiar season, the most obvious point being the, the World Cup break. But for all the negatives of it, there are some positives as well. And for the likes of Ben Godfrey and for the likes of Andros Townsend, the break should work out quite well in the sense that you know they'll really kind of hammer, really begin to, to make their recovery during that period when they won't be missing games. You know, I'm not saying Andros Townsend is going to be fit right from 
you know, the, the beginning of the new year. But obviously the impact of losing players to long-term injuries isn't quite as severe when we have such a peculiar first half of the season where obviously we break after 15 games and, and then pick things up on, on Boxing Day. So, so yeah, so, so, so good news. I don't think it's going to have too much of an impact on team selection anytime soon. But given how... Given how in Evans' injury problems have been over the past few years, you know it's it's handy to know you, you know, we can't ever count our chickens that people aren't going to get injured again, or the injuries aren't going to come from nowhere. So the you know, the whole point of having a squad is that you're able to you know to, to, to cater for things like that and to rest players. It's gonna it's a very busy month that's coming up as well, rest and rotate. So the more people are available, and then, then the better. Bees, you already touched on them a little bit there, but there was one man. Yeah. Who has suffered an injury setback? He's he seemed to gone in the opposite direction to to Godfrey and, and Patterson. That's Yeri Mina. Sidelined again. Going to be a couple of weeks before we potentially back him in a blue shirt. It's just a reoccurring theme, isn't it? Such a shame because what a big, strong man he is. What a what a, a specimen he looked when he when he came to the club. I mean, we'd all kind of seen him in that World Cup ahead of that. And, in Russia, where he'd scored a couple of goals, I think, didn't he score against England with a head of past Jordan yeah. Pickford, of course. And when he first came into the club, we thought, well, this is going to be what a, what a great asset for Everton, this young Colombian international who's come from, from Barcelona, maybe wasn't quite um, ready for them, but would hopefully do a, a great job for, for Everton. And, the, and that's been the problem when he has been fit. He's, he's been played well until this season. A lot of people would say that he was Everton's um, most gifted um, centre-back, but if you contrast his ongoing fitness problems the fact they've got James Tarkovsky and Connor Cody in there now two players who've hardly missed a game single game between them in the Premier League over the last five years or so and Yeri Mina who since he came to the club has played in less than um, half of the, the Premier League fixtures he just can't be depended on and it's sad he obviously doesn't do it on purpose he's going to be nobody more frustrated than than Yeri Mina but that ultimately um he cannot, he cannot be depended on even now. When we, I suppose you could say it's similar yet with Calvert-Lewin when he had maybe little setbacks as he was on his way back. But he's not at level, the levels, thankfully, that, that, that Mean has been passed in his last year of his, his contract now. And I think that ultimately that's why I would imagine he's not going to be a, an Everton player come the, the, the end of the season because he just cannot be depended upon. Joe, Bees makes a good point there, doesn't he? Because Yeri Mina's contract is up at the end of this season. It was a, a bowler contention, I think, for supporters last season in terms of do they give him a new deal? Because on his day, at that point, he probably was Evans' best centre-back. But given the growing injury problems, there's always a concern that he, he's going to not feature as many times as he will feature. These injuries, and obviously, you know, it's, it's not his fault. We should, we should always, you know, put that across. But these injuries and, you know, his current spell on the sidelines and the spell he sets to have a bit fair on the sidelines almost make the decision for Frank Lampard and Kevin Fowler that little bit easier next summer, doesn't it, when it comes to deciding whether to keep Yeri Mina on? Yeah, it won't be an easy decision necessarily, but the reality is that however good he is on his day and when he's fit, those days don't come along often enough. You know, Everton need a centre-back that can play 30-plus games a season. You know, central defence in front of the goalkeeper is probably the most important area for stability over the course of a season. So if you've got someone that's playing every other game, you constantly have to chop and change. That doesn't make things easier. I think when you look at when you look at what Frank Lampard has done over the course of the summer, well, he's obviously brought James Tarkovsky in. He's played 30-plus Premier League games for each of the last five seasons for Burnley. And then he's brought Connor Cody and he was on a loan, but Everton have the option to buy. And, and unless Connor Cody 
either has a, a fallout with someone at Everton, which doesn't look like it's in his nature, or, or Frank Lampard's nature for that, that part, or you know he picks up a terrible injury. It's very, very difficult to see why Everton wouldn't exercise their, their option to, to buy him, especially for the price, which is you know, well under £10 million. Conor Cody, I think, has missed... Before he missed the first, before he was dropped for the first game of this season by Bruno Larg, and we don't know what's happened to him since. I think he'd only missed one game in the past three or four years, and that was due to to COVID, not not injury. So, coupled with you put you put that in, coupled with the fact that Everton have started the season quite well defensively, but also the fact that Van Lampard has moved to to playing two centre backs, all of which kind of makes it increasingly difficult for. For us to see how Mina would have a place in that squad in the long term, unless unless things like you know wages drop and stuff like that, they can come to a deal whereby everybody's happy for him to be a squad player. It's nothing to do with his ability at all. But you know, I think more often than not, Lampard is going to be playing two centre backs. He's got two strong, resilient, impressive centre backs who are forming a nice partnership there. He's got Holgate and Godfrey who are both a lot younger. Um, Holgate, I thought, was really impressive when he came in for Godfrey um, on the first game day of the season and, and until he got injured at, at Brentford. And I think Godfrey is someone that he's starting to have, you know, he's had a bad run of injuries and he's probably starting to enter that bracket where almost a bit like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, where you wouldn't say they're injury prone, but you're just a bit nervous about what the next phase of their career is going to look like. You know, with Calvert-Lewin, I think we're nervous about where he will be over the course of the next four months, so four, uh, four weeks, and how he'll be able to withstand the rigours of that and stay fit. Uh, and I think the same thing will be true of Godfrey when we come back in, in on Boxing Day and, and he's back in contention for a place. You know, Fran Lampard needs options at the back, of course he does. You know, It's paid for Everton to have a lot of centre-backs. We've also got Jared Branthwaite who will come back from PSV where he's doing quite well at the moment. We've got Reese Welch who's just been given a new contract obviously in the in the academy. We know that there are financial issues, you know, financial questions that still will always be in the back of anybody's, any club's mind, but obviously particularly Everton's given where they've been over the past few years. And you'd imagine that Yerry Mina would want to go somewhere where he can, you know, when he is fit, get straight into that starting lineup. So, you know, Frank Lampard isn't thinking about contracts expiring at the moment that's that's not I think at the moment the way this season has panned out is partly due to injuries partly just due to the schedule uh, partly due to the World Cup I think very much his focus at this present moment in time is almost on a game to game basis I think Everton and Finch Farm at this very present moment in time is, is just completely geared up to trying to get Everton into the best possible position it can do going into the, you know, the World Cup break so I don't think there's long-term succession planning in there, but obviously it will be in the back of people's minds. And I think for someone like Yeri Mina, it's looking harder and harder to justify giving him a new contract unless something significant changed, whether it be, you know, obviously we don't think it's going to be him never getting injured again. You know, I think those injury issues are there to stay with him. But if he was to accept the contract on a, on a much lower wage or something like that, then, then maybe discussions might be had. But it just doesn't seem to be something that I think uh, is particularly likely at the moment. But he's, I know we, we, we've said this quite a lot on the podcast and it's been well documented by a lot of people, but just the fact that Yerry Mina, you know, we're now talking about Yerry Mina as a squad player, if he comes back into the seventh squad, and, and Ben Godfrey as well in this in this conversation has almost been kind of the forgotten man. 
does it does that highlight just how impressive the work Kevin Fowler and Frank Lampard did in the summer? Two of the most major players for Everton over the last couple of seasons are essentially, you know, not true into when they return. And in the case of Yeri Mina, you know, his future probably lies elsewhere. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, it's been a revolution, really. You know, they, they, they've obviously identified it. But, I mean, for a long time, we kind of all knew Tarkovsky was on the way, looked very likely. And I think, obviously, we've done the piece ourselves in the Echo that the deal was done, just wasn't being announced until um start of July when his contract was officially expired at Burnley because of uh, reasons to do with the, uh, the two clubs' um, relationships at, the, at that particular time. But we kind of knew that one was coming from the, pretty early in the summer. But then to get Connor Cody after the season had started, that was a real game-changer. The fact that you had two of them coming in there, very similar in profile, I mean, almost identical in age, just about to turn, they'll both turn 30 this season. Um, experienced um, English players, players who know the Premier League inside out, a couple of model pros, both from the, the region to, to like different extents. Obviously, uh, Cody's a native Merseysider, Tarkovsky from Manchester. They, you know, they, they they know what's required to be an Everton player, and they also have the not just knowing that, but they're able to carry that out. Like we said, that that durability, the fact that they're so consistent in the performance, not just turning out every week but a certain level of consistency as well which it brings and they form that great partnership i mean like we've said on the podcast before now it's ironic really that one of the cited reasons for cody supposedly leaving wolves because it certainly wasn't because of his attitude certainly wasn't because of his performances was this notion that he couldn't play in a flat back four and after starting out at everton in a in a, in a free man defense he's quickly shown that he he can play in a, a flat back four it's no problem at all for him so yeah, I, I would go far saying it has, it has revolutionised it in terms of Mina no longer assuming, and even Godfrey, who hasn't been as injury prone as, as Mina, like you're saying, he's like, where does he actually fit in? Because if you're hopeful, I mean, you always dread this. You know these players who never miss a game, and then they come to Everton, and then they become injury prone. But if, you know, all being well, such would if Tarkovsky and Cody hardly miss a game between them. Where does um, Cody come in? He's either He's either vying for um, Patterson or Coleman shirt at right back, or, or at, at um, Mikalenko at um, left back. Uh, and I know he's done well in the particular left back in, in the past, but he's certainly going to have a, his work cut out um, getting back in as a centre back, unless they revert again to the free at the back. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joe, it was a very interesting press conference, I thought, by Frank Lampard on Thursday because he, he touched on a lot of things. But one answer and one, you know, question that really stood out for me was the the issue around Anthony Gordon. Obviously, you know, he misses Saturday's mm-hmm. game at the, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium due to suspension, which, you know, when you think of it, he played nine, is it nine Premier League games? Yes. Season, and he's picked up five bookings already. It's, it's quite, the, quite the the take. But it was interesting that Lampard also talked about Gordon's performance levels and how he feels, you know, he wants to get a little bit more out of them, and they've almost dropped. Is it a worry that Gordon's performance levels have dropped from what we've seen, and he's not having been as effective since the transfer speculation with Chelsea in the summer? 
Well, no, I don't think so. I think actually he was probably at his most effective during the height of that transfer speculation. It was a, it was the final week of the transfer window when he, he scored that that lovely goal against Brentford, uh, and then went to went to Leeds, where not only did he score the goal, but he was also a bit of a creative force. He, he, he played in Nathan Patterson for a for a one on one late on that Patterson probably could have scored, and he also played the ball through to Damari Gray for the goal that he did score, but was ruled out for a very very marginal offside. So actually, I think Anthony Gordon started the season really well. It's almost as the noise surrounding his future has, has died down that he's struggled to make a bit of it. He struggled to make as much of an impact on the pitch. But you know, I think that he's he's a young lad. He's been you know experimented with throughout the season as Everton try and deal with not having you know a recognised striker. Obviously, Neil Mopay's only just come in. Um, but he's also, you know, not only is he a young lad, he's also a young lad that after coming through last season, obviously last season nobody really knew what he was about. His opponents didn't really know what to expect from him, whereas they, they do now because they've had a full season of, of watching him. So, you know, I, I'm not really concerned on this level. I mean, the discipline is a is a frustrating thing, and I think it's probably a sign of his frustration as he you know, fights to try and be influential in, in games. But I think... It, it, that probably falls into a couple of a couple of reasons, and you know, one being, say, other teams better at working out. Two is just this is a very new Everton side that is building relationships and having to gel and work together and, and work under you know a new style of Lampard. You know, Everton switched style uh, for that Leeds game. So halfway through the you know the first part of the season that we've been through, they completely changed tactics and abandoned the the five at the back which they played back in the last season. So. It's a constantly evolving Everton side, you know, stylistically and both in terms of personnel. You know, I think um, you know, his second season was always going to be harder. He's had a good start. But you know, again, speaking to, to Lampard for a piece that, that, that I wrote last night, you know, I think Lampard, well, obviously he doesn't want to see his players booked, certainly for some of the petty yellows that Anthony Gordon has got. I don't think it's the discipline that's the big concern for Frank Lampard. I think what he's what actually most focused on is trying to essentially help Anthony Gordon go from that young prospect who's breaking through to a, you know, a, an established first team player that can do it in more games than he doesn't do it. And I think that's where a lot of the work and the focus goes on. It's on Anthony Gordon's development as opposed to his, as opposed to his discipline. Um, so it's always going to be challenging for him. Um, you know, he, he struggled against Manchester United, but then Everton in general struggled. It was a really peculiar game on Sunday where, you know, they came out of the blocks. The atmosphere was brilliant to start off with. Wobie scored that goal. And then, you know, it, everything just seemed to deflate. And I'm not entirely sure why. But, you know, I think you know, even Lampard said after the game that everyone just seemed off it. And um, so, you know, Lampard's also not going to be happy to lose him for for the game on, on Saturday against, against Tottenham. But... You know, I, I don't have wider concerns about Anthony Gordon. You know, I, I don't think there's anything there other than, you know, a young player who's going to have dips in form, who's going to have frustrations, who had a, a far more dramatic start to the season than probably anybody expected. Um, and he's just, you know, he's still learning the game. And I think Everton are lucky because in someone like Frank Lampard, they've got, uh, and some of the players, are, some of the coaches around him, and now some of the players and experienced heads that he's got around him on the pitch. You know, I, I think there's a, an environment there for him to get through tough times and to find form and, and things like that, and to you know, to, you know, to, to realise that 
you know, as frustrated he might be in 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 some games, he, he can overcome that and, and have an influence. So I'm you know I'm still excited to see what Andy Gordon's got to show for this season. You know, I put him in my fantasy football team, and I'm disappointed he hasn't had more goal contributions in the last few games from a you know from an Everton perspective and from a selfish selfish perspective on that front. But you know, hopefully hopefully the suspension will actually do a, a bit of good. It'll be his first. I know we had the break for you know, for the period of mourning following the Queen's death, but it might be. His, this this week might have been his first opportunity to almost take a step back from things and just reflect on the first seven or eight games of the season, the transfer speculation, and, and almost hone in on what it is that he needs to do now to make the next step in his career. And I think Lampard is aware to, of that. I think the coaching staff at Everton are more than capable of helping him make that step. It's just trying to you know, encourage him to do it and do it in the right way as quickly as effectively as possible. He's Michael Ball alluded to to this in his column in the Echo earlier this week, but he almost feels now the challenge for Gordon is to almost reinvent himself a little bit, show that he can do something different, and, and almost that will be then able to take his game to the next level from what we see so far. Do you agree with that? Do you think the challenge is for Gordon now is to come up with different ways in which to hurt opposition? Because, like Joe said there, everyone knows what, what strengths and weaknesses are because yeah. they've they've seen him last year. Where last year he was the raw, you know, up and coming young kid who yeah. you know really knew anything about. 12 months on, he's high profile, he's well known, and now he's got a challenge on his hands to prove that he can take his game to the next level. Well, first of all, he needs to reinvent himself in terms of these bookings because, um, okay, <laughs> you're not impressed with this, because um, I obviously, um, it's similar to Erlen Haaland and where he is in track against Dixie Dean's um record. So, you know, I wouldn't expect Anthony Gordon to keep up this ratio over season, but. If you work it out over a season, he's in line to get 20 yellow cards. So um, that's not going to be good if that, if that continues. I mean, I'm sure he won't. But um, yeah, so as Joe says, hopefully that'll be like, uh, an opportunity for him to take stock. But he's come a long way in a, in a very short space of time. I remember discussing with um, a senior colleague only about a year ago um, whether he would even make this Everton. I mean, thankfully, you know, he, he's done much more than that. Um, he, he's thrived and was one of Everton's best performers, most consistent performers in, okay, what was a dreadful season for the club? I mean, worst equivalent, joint worst equivalent points total in the club's history. So he he did well in very trying circumstances last season. But he, um, as Frank has said himself, as the manager has said this summer, the big thing for Anthony Gordon this season is to have that, that end product. He, he took a long time to score his, his first goal. I mean, like buses, weren't it? It's, then two arrived in, in quick succession. Got another one against Manchester United. They had a few deflections there, but you know he got that monkey off his back. And Lampard has said to him he needs to improve in terms of um, goals and assists because ultimately he's, he's he's one of those attacking midfield players. He's part of the front three, and you've got to have those numbers to, to kind of back that up. Um, very self confident young man. I was fortunate to speak to him back in January when kind of when he was having his, his purple patch and he was he was the man of the moment back then. And it was sort of that, that self-confidence that he exuded, which was good to a point. I mean, you, you like that. You like to have the confidence in your players. But they do have to back that up. So, I mean, he sort of had his, his ego inflated more this summer because obviously the, the admiring, more, let's say, admiring glances, a very strong pursuit ultimately by Chelsea for, for his signature. And before that, there was, you know, obviously uh, talk of Tottenham and uh, Newcastle being interested as well, so much so that Frank Lampard uh, went as far as saying, you know, he felt... He's to declare he's going nowhere while the club are on the, the pre-season tour of U, the USA. So, been a lot of interest in Anthony and a lot of plaudits um, deserved because of that progress that he's made. But yeah, he needs to have that end product. Somebody playing in his position um, 
you need to produce um, those numbers. Maybe not going to be pro- prolific yet in terms of you know getting double figures from and goals, but he's got to be doing more than 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 what he was to sort of back up these claims. Because he, he, I remember he was saying to me that although he's he's progressed a lot, this was back in January again, he still felt there was actually so much more to come from him, and hopefully there is because. At the moment, those big sums that we heard about in the summer that were potentially being offered for his services were more about the potential again rather than the finished article. And now that he has stayed at Everton, he needs to be doing that for Everton, showing why, just why these um, these um, clubs with the greatest resources were um, so interested in him and having a look and potentially offering Everton big money for him. Because we've seen in the past, I mean, talked to what we were discussing before we went on air, Wayne Rooney, the most gifted player the club has produced. Even somebody, Ross Barkley. Um, Gordon's not at those levels yet. He's, he's, he's still a long way off those levels. And as much as he's been the, the brightest spark to come from the academy in, in recent years, he still needs to do a lot more to sort of be spoken about, even um, in, uh, even as a Ross Barkley, never mind a Wayne Rooney. Joel, Beach just touched on something there in terms of goals. Now, Everton have seemingly sold one issue this season in terms of tightening up at the back, they look a lot more solid, a lot more compact, etc. But they still only scored more than one goal in a game once this season. The goals have seemingly, you know, been hard to come by. Do you think it's a concern for Frank Lampard? No, Dominic Calvert Lewis now back fit. That is sad are struggling to score goals and take their opportunity when they come along because you know, like we've seen, you know, this season you alluded to earlier, you know, Nathan Patterson's miss at Leeds, for instance, is the difference between one point and three points. And you know, at the end of the season, their misses could be very costly for the blues. Well, Dominic Carvalho has only just come back. You know, he had that 15-minute cameo against Manchester United. So, you know, there, there is still every chance that he could be, you know, the missing link. He could be the key that unlocks Everton's you know, newfound potency. Um, and it, it, it can be true that he can struggle over the next two games. Everton can struggle over the next two games, but still make progress on that. Because I think both Tottenham and Newcastle have got very strong defences. I think they're going to be two very difficult games for Everton. So, you know, I don't think now's the time to kind of, you know, panic too much about whether or not Dominic Carvalhoon is the solution that we're all hoping that he's going to be. Um, you know, providing that he can stay fit, we know he's got the ability. And I think, I think the, the positive thing for me has probably been looking over the course of the season so far. You know, going into the season you were kind of wondering where the creativity was going to be and who was going to create the chances as much as who was actually going to put them away. And actually I've been pleasantly surprised by the amount of chances that Everton have created. It's not as many as it should be. And it's not so many that even with, you know, average finishing that Everton is still scoring lots of goals. But, you know, when you look at Chelsea, obviously they didn't score against Chelsea, but you know, Deli Ali had that one that Nathan Patterson played into from about eight yards out and can't help but think that if a, more, you know, a better known goal scorer was on the end of that, he probably would have scored. You know, you have um, against Aston Villa, it was it was Damari Gray who missed from a yard out when he tried to control, I think it was an Alex Awobi cross rather than shoot first time. Against Forest, Everton had a lot of chances. They just didn't put any of them away. Um, I don't want to go for every single game by, by any stretch of imagination. But even Liverpool, obviously, you know, Tom Davis hit the post. Um Neil Mopai probably should have scored. So they, they didn't create that much against Manchester United. That that was a concern. And I think that you know, at, the, at this present moment in time, I think we can hopefully look at the Man United game in isolation. Obviously, if it continues over a couple of games, then it might be a problem. But at the minute, it's it, there's 
the chances of being created if Everton had a ruthless goal scorer up front to, to, you know, to take them. I think the question going forward will now be whether Dominic Calvert, well, there's probably two questions. One, can Calvert, one, does Calvert-Lewin come into the team almost mess things around a little bit so his chances aren't created? Well, you know, there was, it was quite interesting when he came on against, um, I think you, you can't read too much into what happened when he came on at Manchester United because obviously it became a little bit uh, all hands to the pump and throw the target men on because Rondon also came on as well. But it was quite interesting how when Calvert-Lewin came on, quite often drifted into the channels uh, and received the ball there when obviously really when Calvert-Lewin is doing what he's doing best, you want him like he was on Ancelotti when he's almost in the middle of the goal. That's where you want him. You want him on the end of everything. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether the Everton side that we've seen so far changes their way of playing much if Calvert-Lewin comes in and whether they still create the chances. Hopefully they still create the chances. If they do, then the second question is, can Calvert-Lewin put them away? I mean, you will have to wait and see on both of those fronts. But, you know, I'm I'm not too concerned going for. I keep saying that. I, say, I think I've said that over injuries and Anthony Gordon's form and, and now about goal scoring. You know, I, I think we, we probably have to... And I think most Everton fans do do think this. You know, this is a we're in the very early stages of a transition at the moment. Um, you know, I think we can all see that some progress is being made, and I think that we just need to carry on being patient. I think that patient. I think that, and I think that is particularly important, as I say, going into this this week because Tottenham and Newcastle away, they're two difficult games in any season, particularly Newcastle away on a weekday night. You know. For three or four days after you've been down to London on a, on a night. So so really it's kind of, I'm almost willing to certainly not give a free pass to, to, to people for the next two games. You know, we need to get, everyone needs to get points from wherever they can and, and performances certainly matter. But really it's kind of, I think where we'll start to draw our lessons about where this Everton side is and where Dominic Calvert-Lewin is and how everything works together will probably be more when it comes into you know that run of Crystal Palace and Fulham when when Everton are playing sides home and away where you know they they really should be looking to pick up points if they're going to avoid you know a relegation battle if they're going to finish safe mid table I think that's where that's where the judgment needs to come on how much progress is being made at the moment. Because obviously the Blues are back in action tomorrow Saturday mm-hmm. Saturday evening game. You and Joe will be at the the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium for mm-hmm. the Echo. Not only did they face a tough challenge in Tottenham and Antonio Conte, so has made an impressive start to the campaign. They also come up against the former hero, mm. Richarlison, the man who obviously you know played a major role in keeping yeah. the Blues in the Premier League last season. And I think the Brazilian can expect a warm reception from the Blue Traveling Army, Carney. I think there'll be plenty who remember what he done for the Blues last season. I'm sure there was. I mean, a very popular player during his time in the club and also... When the sad time came for, for him to go, I mean, it's something I'd probably like to see a lot more of. We've not had it enough in recent years. When a play, when it is time for a player to go, as much as we don't like that, if they do it in, a, in the right way and they conduct themselves properly, when it, it's less of um, a problem, and you know that's the way it should be. That's football. Players move on all the time. It's a very transient um, profession. A very, as you know, the old cliche, very short careers certainly at the top, and players will move on, but. And, too often in the recent past, even though you like, like, or even going back to, to Rooney, I guess, but even like, you know, Romelu Lukaku or even uh, the way with um, Julian Lescott, you know, these acrimonious exits, there seems to be a lot of them. Even Ross Barkley, of course, we mentioned um, before, whereas 
Richarlison, you know, he went about it the, the, the right way. You know, I think he'd obviously let the um, the club uh, officials know that uh, this was the time for him to go in that he had two years left on his, his current contract and wasn't particularly interested in signing a new one. So there was that acceptance at the club that, you know, it was a time for a partner of the ways after four years. Good service. And, um, of course, he went back to Finnish Farm to actually say his goodbyes in person. I mean, had <laughs> that famous picture of him like a tears in his eyes with Jimmy Martin, the old um, kit manager there. So it was obviously very... I'm sure well- Jimmy would advice with that old day dropped in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, very popular player amongst um, not just the supporters, but with his, his fellow pros at the club. And like I said, he's, that personality that he had his whole time with Everton, he'd interact with the fans, even though he couldn't speak much English when he first came. But Marco Silva, who'd also been his manager at Watford, of course, got him up, you know, said that you know he needed to improve that. And he did. He liked to interact in social media with the fans have a bit of fun there just everything about the real big personality but ultimately it's down to business i mean maybe he'll have that nice round of applause before kickoff but i mean he'll be determined he, he won't mind um, sticking one past ever and he hasn't scored in the premier league yet Tottenham. he's had a couple in europe for him and um i remember him actually scoring before he came to Everton for marco silver's watford at goodison at the, at the park end so yeah it, it, it'd be a nice warm reception as he as he well deserves as a very um, well-liked um, former Everton player who ultimately did play a big part in them staying up. Also, that goal against Chelsea, of course, can never forget that one in the one-nil. Um, but yeah, once that that, that whistle goes, and uh, who knows, it might even be a few blues moaning if he's rolling about on the, on the turf <laughs> or anything like that. Um, uh, I see that that might be a, a bone of contention. But um, yeah, he's got going to be ultra competitive, and as much as he, as I'm sure he is. As, a place in his heart for Everton, as Evertonians do for him. He'll, he'll be determined to, to get that three points and possibly a goal for himself once that whistle goes. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So this is a, a real tough test, isn't it, for Frank Lampard's side? Because, you know, Tottenham are a top, top team and they've got some top, top players managed by a top, top coach in many respects. And... You know, I suppose half five Saturday, you know, even the games don't come much tougher than, than Tottenham away. They don't, they don't. And I think, in fairness, it's a Tottenham away, Tottenham side that it's not in full flow at the moment. I think they've had some quite turgid performances, but they managed to grind out results. Then they're very good against Arsenal, but obviously Arsenal, you know, with City, the most informed side in, in, in the league at the moment, and they... They had a good win against Eintracht Frankfurt in, in midweek. And I think that probably the concerning thing was just how how good Son looked. I mean, his volley was absolutely sensational. And I think that's kind of... Obviously, this was a bad game for Everton last season. When I, when I think of Lampard's time at Everton so far, I, I probably, in my head, you might disagree. Like, I think the Spurs game probably one of the most important because obviously the absolute hammer it wasn't just a 5-0 defeat was it it was it was the nature of the of the defeat the performance and how they were just ripped apart and how they collapsed and you know almost see that as kind of almost been a bit of a turning point for Lampard in the sense that 
it was at that point not only did he realise that he was in a relegation battle, but I think he realised it was it had to just be about pragmatism. You know, he didn't have the squad and the options to try and play their way out of trouble. You know, after that, the focus became one thing and one thing only. Now, survival. Um, you know, regardless of the cost in terms of in terms of style and adventure. Um, obviously, we we know what happened in the end. You know, things got worse before they got better, but Everton ultimately stayed up. So it'd be tempting to kind of to look at tomorrow's game. We're recording this on Friday, and, and almost use it as a barometer for, for progress. And I'm not quite sure that that'll quite be fair because let's say this is a Tottenham side that that is good, and it's an Everton side that's in transition. So he played four at the back against Tottenham. I think uh, when they, when they lost five 0 Michael Keane was playing at centre back, and since come out that Michael Keane was ill. Yeah. And Lampard said recently that he he wanted to play five at the back in that game, um, but couldn't because of illness and injuries. Um, I'm I'm really interested to see what he does tomorrow because because I'm I'm wondering if he might have some temptation to go to five at the back. Don't know who his third centre back would be. That that's probably the only problem. Um, but I, I think four at the back, you know, four four three three is his preferred style of play. Again, I spoke to him recently. The, the great, what he was hoping, his great ambition for Everton is to is to be able to be fluid and to be able to adaptable. So it's not just to have one style of play; it's to be able to switch between different styles of play. And I'm intrigued to see tomorrow as to whether or not he tries something a little bit different because he, you know, say Tottenham can be so dangerous going forward, and whether he might go five at the back. I think if he had a fully fit centre back. Um, allocation, he might consider it, but he might struggle with where they are at the moment because it'd probably be me bringing Keane in or either playing Coleman or maybe even. I mean, some people suggested I think he did this at Dynamo Kiev once or twice, Mikalenko at, at the left side and put in Vinagra at left wing back. So it's it's going to be a tough game, it's going to be an interesting one. It's, it's not one that I think I think it's almost one where it's the performance matters more than the results because I think Everton go into this underdogs. Not because, and that isn't a sign of a lack of progress. It's just a sign of the, where these two teams start the season. Everton is a side that you know took until the penultimate game of last season to stay up. Tottenham are a side that qualified for the Champions League, so it was never going to turn around as quick. You know, in, in just nine games. But I think what what we I think what the really important thing to look out for is the response to that Manchester United performance, particularly that Manchester United first half, because for some reason Everton weren't quite on it that day. Uh, and it was a disappointment considering the way that they played and the way they'd been, the improvements that they'd, we'd seen over over the recent games. So I think the, the most important thing tomorrow is Everton give Tottenham a game. They don't go there with fear. Yeah, they go there, they get stuck in. They challenge Tottenham. They, yeah, they force Tottenham to win the game rather than Everton lose it themselves. Uh, that's that's kind of what I'm looking for. And we know that this is for for all the dangers that Tottenham possess going forward. We also know that they can struggle to break teams down as well. You know, they they have had a few one nils this season. You know, Bright, Brighton, I think last weekend being one of them. So if Everton if Everton can stay tight, if Everton can keep Tottenham out for the first half an hour, then I do think that you know that Everton could get a positive result tomorrow. So, um, but it's, they're going to have to improve on where they where they were on Sunday. These years, you were, of course, there yeah. alongside Adam, Adam Jones, Jones last season for the, the, the 5-0 Monday night defeat. 
Yeah. What what are you expecting tomorrow? Do you, do you think it'll be five at the back? Do you think he'll stick with the four? Do you think, you know, what what do you think he'll maybe try and go a bit more below the midfield and stop the runners? You know, so Tottenham getting in behind. It's, it's a tough ask, isn't it? Because yeah. Tottenham got quality all over the pitch, and that's the big thing. They've got goal scorers, they've got attacking threats, and they've got energy. Yeah, yeah. It was like you say, Adam and myself were were both there. It was a the first of a of a hat trick of. Um, Reversals in the capital, unfortunately, around that time of year, they, they gradually got um, le- less worse in that <laughs> it went from 5-0 at Tottenham, then it was 4-0 at Palace in the in the FA Cup, and then just just 2-1 at, at West Ham United. But uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a tough time. I totally concur with what Joe said there, and um, it was a watershed moment for Frank Lampard. Um, yeah, Evan actually started the game very brightly, but as soon as it went 1-0, that was it. Just like collapsed like a, a house of cards. And to be fair, Tottenham declared at five quite early, which was... Evan got lucky that night, yeah. didn't he, in some respects? Yeah, he got a relief because it was so bad so quickly. It was almost like, right, foot off the gas now. Don't need to don't need to pressure for the last half an hour or whatever it was. So, yeah, it could have actually been a lot worse. And as Joe says, I'm sure that was the night that Frank Lampard realised he's not going to play the way out of trouble. They go toe-to-toe with teams like Tottenham to get out of trouble. They had to be pragmatism. And fair play to Frank. I think I mentioned this the other day. Um, other Everton managers, the likes of Martinez and Allardyce, although they're chalk and cheese in terms of their actual styles, that was their downfall, that they, they wouldn't deviate from the style of football that they felt was the right way to play. Whereas Lampard realised, you know, he was smart enough that, you know, they had to be pragmatism in that situation. It was all down to that. Um, to that game at Tottenham. In terms of this visit to Tottenham, again, like you said, he might be, t- as Joe said, he might be tempted to go to five. For me, the only way he can do it is if he brings Michael Keane in. Is he going to exercise those demons of last season? Like we said, Keane thrown in at the deep end and that he, he wasn't a well man. I mean, it wasn't said before kickoff. I suppose that wouldn't be in Everton's best interest to declare that anyway. But, you know, it was said afterwards, straight away afterwards, really, that um, Keane had been unwell that, that night. And to be fair, to Michael had gone in and played that game and uh, in very difficult circumstances. So maybe you bring Keane as, as the third centre-back. I'm not too sure about moving Mikalenko. It's one thing doing it as a youngster in the Ukrainian league. But do, at least Keane is a tried and trusted, experienced Premier League centre-back, whereas Mikalenko, that's a big gamble if, if you're moving him across um, to have Vanagra on, on the left. So if he is going to go with the five at the back, I think for me, with the options he's got available, given that obviously Mina, as we said, is out again. Godfrey's still a long way off. Hullgate isn't quite there yet. Has to be Michael Keane for me, if he's going to go that way, because, I mean, um, otherwise I just can't um, see how he does it. It's an interesting one also that um, I think Adrissa Gay is, is helped by the fact that um, he's a defensive shield, because if it wasn't partic- if it wasn't this fixture coming up, I think that his place could be under serious threat. I mean, might still be anyway, but... Um, I, you just think, oh, because uh, it's Tottenham away, we'll we'll go with Contact you know go with Garner Gay again. But um, if it was someone else, I mean, James Garner might be really pushing him now. He might still be, but yeah, we just see. Um, I would just expect that he play safe with that one and go with tried and trusted Adrissa Gay. But ultimately, you know, it's got to be marked that you know he's given the ball away twice now cheaply in the last two games, and it's cost him a goal on both occasions. Just think about UBs very quickly because mm-hmm. obviously you know you touched on midfield there, top end of the pitch. Mm-hmm. Down the Calvert Lumen, did you put him straight back in, or is it again on the bench? Come off, come on with half an hour, 20 minutes to go, and builds his way back into into, into the stars, or are you going to form right into the end? After Mope, he's been feeding on scraps for the last couple of games. I'd really like to bring Dominic Calvert Lewin back in, that's what I'd want to do. But I just fear that after hearing what Frank Lampard said again, 
how he's not quite doing all the sessions and training or they're still sort of not wrapping him in cotton wool, but being tentative and being cautious with him. I just imagine that it will be more pay again and hoping to give Calvert-Lewin some more minutes off the bench. But I'd, I'd love to be able to think, yes, Dominic Calvert-Lewin can return now because um, it was desperate. Everton looked desperate for that aerial um, sort of um, threat against Manchester United. And I'd love for them to be able to do that. But I just fear from what Lampard's been saying that he doesn't think he's quite ready yet. Joe, you know, in terms of yourself, you know, midfield and, and going forward, would, would, would you look, do you think Calvert will be on the bench? Do you think it'll be a case of saying what we saw last week against Manchester United in terms of, you know, move up the pitch? I think so. I think Calvert-Lewin starts on the bench. Um, it's similar to what Chris said there, just, yeah, they're, they're carefully managing his return and I, I don't think throwing him into Tottenham away starting after just 15 minutes against Manchester United would, would best suit him. Obviously, we know that Anthony Gordon's not going to be playing because of his suspension. So I imagine it will be Dwight McNeil who will um, who will come in. Obviously, he started uh, for for Gordon when Gordon was ill um, against Southampton. So I mean, personally, I, like I I think it probably will be four at the back. Um, I'd be I'd, if if I say if Everton had the full allocation of centre backs, I'd be interested to see what Frank do. But I think it'll be four at the back. And uh, yeah, I think they'll set up similar to how they did against against Manchester and how they have done recently. Like similar to Manchester United, Tottenham have vulnerabilities down the flanks and their fullbacks or wingbacks, whichever they decide to, however they decide to deploy and pick up a lot of yellow cards. And one of the things that really frustrated me against Manchester United was just how Everton just really completely failed to kind of get the ball in the channels and have Gordon and Gray running at people or running at or running behind them. Um, Dwight Manil isn't the type of wide player who does that, obviously cuts inside more, but I'd, I'd really like to see Mope and Gray just almost you know, target some of the more temperamental Tottenham defenders, try and get the ball at their feet, either you know, running at them or running past them and see if they can you know, lure them into some some tackles or, or beat them. So I do think that's where Tottenham's you know, if Tottenham have any vulnerabilities, then, then it perhaps is around the the, the backs, you know, around the back of the fullbacks and wing backs. So, so yeah. So I mean, I think it'd be the same. I'm interested to see if Garner features more. James Garner, that that is. I think the Onana, Idrissa, Garner, Gay, and Awobi access. I think is certainly safe for another week. Obviously, Awobi scored that. That wonderful goal the other day has been Everton's best player this season. Onana looks good, um, and, and Garner has you know has had a good start to his Everton return, albeit has been punished twice for you know, the goal against Southampton, the goal against Manchester United, and was lucky not to get punished a third time against you know, Manchester United, second time in that match uh, when he gave the ball away, and um, I think that might have been for the goal that was ruled offside, uh, or or it might have been Ericsson when he had the shot that was saved by Pickford from outside the area. I think that's probably safe. But I am James Garner keeps getting mentioned by Frank Lampard and his coaching staff, even when he's not being asked about. Um yeah, Paul Clement has been on doing it. He's, he's done interviews with Sky ahead of the coverage of, of the game against Tottenham tomorrow. Uh, so Sky have interviewed him and, and he's asked about Evans youngsters and, and he you know he's more specifically asked about Onana, but he answers the question by talking about James Garner. And it's it's clear that Everton think that they have got a real talent there and somebody that is obviously being brought for the future, but who I think that the more they see of him, 
the more they're starting to think he might be able to do a job, uh, you know, be you know, be a competitive challenger for first team action pretty quickly. Obviously, he's been fighting to get match fitness. Uh, Lampard sees him as a slightly different option to the rest of his centre midfielders, just in what he can do, particularly with the ball at his feet. That that might be something that becomes more relevant when we get to a position where Dominic Calvert-Lewin is playing more. But you know, it, it does feel like James Garner's knocking on the door. I don't think he starts tomorrow, and I wouldn't start him tomorrow. I'd, I'd stick with what we what Everton have been doing recently. But as well as we, you know, we know that Dominic Calvert-Lewin is on the verge of, you know, once he can get to his match fitness, he probably starts from that side. But I'm also intrigued to see whether James Garner becomes more prominent as, as this little run before the World Cup um, break continues and goes on. Gents, before we finish, mm. we've got to stick with the tradition of the Robo podcast before the games. Prediction time. Bees, I'll start with you. Okay. Yeah, um, it's going to be tough. And I think that the best Everton can hope for is a, a repeat. I mean, you don't like mentioning his name, no. The, the way Rafa Benitez um, set out against Tottenham at home last season and just made sure it was an attritional nil-nil. I mean, it's not one for the purists, but I think we'd all take that. Not often, Rafa. Frank's getting told a lot to, to follow Rafa Benitez, <laughs> yeah, but quite. there, there yeah. we go. Joe, what about yourself? Yeah, one-one for me. I think Everton. I, I, I don't. I think it'll be a concern if Everton start as badly as they did against. Obviously, they got the goal very early against Manchester United, but they drifted into a bad performance for the forty minutes that followed. I think it'd be off the back of that. I think a lot of the work at Finch Farm this week will have been on. Don't let that happen. Um, so I, I'm hoping Everton start well tomorrow, and I think if they can nick an early goal then maybe you know, they, they can kind of frustrate Tottenham. Obviously, we know that Everton are, are pretty decent defensively. So, obviously, the tricky thing is if they go ahead is, is not to just then sit deep and, and invite the pressure on, which they've had a tendency to do this season. But I'm hoping for a kind of a brave performance. And I think that, I think there is a point there for Everton if they you know, if, if they play to the best of their abilities and if they're just organised, um, if, if they're at it, if they get their intensity right, they win more of the second balls than they did on Sunday. So... So, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm not sure that Evan have quite got the goals in them in a minute to, to win at Tottenham because they're very good defensively, but I'm going to go for one each. I'm going to go for one now, Evan. Ooh. Optimistic. Love it. A sneaky one now. And coming back to this, our all three points. Joe and, sure. Joe and Chris will both be at the London Stadium, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Saturday evening to bring you live coverage of Everton's clash against Tottenham Hotspur. And we will be back on Monday to discuss the game and look back on all the talking points from Everton's visit to the capital and preview Wednesday's trip to Newcastle United in the Premier League. But for today, thank you very much for listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.